podcast with your boy joshua m hicks senior writer for war media you can catch me on instagram and the twitter at josh m hicks media and this is a juicy show today because a lot of stuff been happening in the nfl and i got the perfect person to help break it down with me man he he's he's dealt with um racial issues he has written about racial issues in sports and he is someone that is very educated on this subject matter that can help me break this down and also shed light to what these what the situation, especially within the NFL, really means. He is the ESPN senior writer. Gotta give it up for my guy, Michael Fletcher. Mr. Fletcher, how you doing, my man? All good, all good, Josh. How are you? Doing good. You know, I'm staying busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I hear that. Only man, way to be. Most definitely. I thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on my show to talk about this, to talk about this situation, because like we said off camera, man, you Flores is blowing up the league. <laughs> Came out of nowhere with this lawsuit. And this lawsuit is, you know, hitting the fact about how about the hiring practices within the NFL, the discrimination that he's experienced and the scenarios he's he's uh, dealt with. And I feel like this situation is people are saying that like he's gonna be like the next Kaepernick per se. Mm -hmm where you make a stand, you protest, you make a stand against the NFL and the practices that they're doing, and you eventually get blackballed out of the league. Okay, fine. That's, the, that's part of the, your life as being, I guess, in an activist type of role, standing up for what you believe in. But at the same time, that, I think this scenario is going to be a tad bit more aggressive or different, per se, in that way, because he's not the only one that, like there's people of his peers around him that have been in these coaches' circles that are actually speaking out in favor of this. Recently, you've had Marvin Lewis step us uh, come out and say he experienced something similar on first take. You have Hugh Jackson talking about the text messages he's done that he's gone through when he was head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and and obviously, of course, you have all the brothers uh, from a player's perspective supporting this. What does this really mean, Mr. Fletcher? Break this down for me as far as this. This, this scenario and what this really means in comparison to previous scenarios where people and athletes and executives have been outspoken about these things, but what makes this one so unique? Well, I mean, I, I think this, this suit is like the embodiment of the term bombshell that you hear all the time. I mean, I think you make a good point. I mean, just to go to Kaepernick for a second, it's like along the same lines, but it has even more tentacles, right? I, I think Flores has already shown that he he's um, better able to to sort of rally allies to his case. And if you look at some of his allegations, it's some of the things we're all very familiar with, of course, like the 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 lack of NFL head coaches, the lack of NFL black NFL GMs, the lack of black NFL offensive and defensive and special team coordinators. We've heard these abysmal statistics really for decades now in this in this country. And, and Flores 
okay, he has that in the lawsuit, but that's not what really, you know, is really shaking things up here. That we've kind of known that he kind of goes through the long litany of racism in the NFL, the long time it took to even have the first black head coach hired, I believe, in 1989 when the Raiders um, hired Art Shell. He just sort of runs through that history and runs through, you know, a lot of the embarrassingly racist, racist history the NFL has. But this goes farther. He's talking about the practices of these owners. And if these allegations prove true, some of these things could end up in, I, I believe, in owners losing their teams. If, if, for example, to me, the big bombshell in here, he, he's saying Stephen Ross offered him a bounty, a bonus, to lose games. And that gets to the heart of what the NFL is about. That's what they don't want to hear about. They, you know, you talk about the integrity of the game, particularly now with betting involved and all of that. That's the kind of thing that can that cost that could cost an owner his franchise. You know, not that Stephen Ross Ross will lose, right? He's a billionaire. And if he had to give up the team, he'd probably sell it at a profit. But nonetheless, that could cause, you know, that would cause an earthquake. It would it would I would, I would think it would undermine the kind of the credibility of the league. And you have you, you know, Jackson making the same charge from Cleveland. Now it's a big, you know, it's a long way from saying it and proving it. I I, I recognize that. But if any of that can be proven. And if it can be proven that the NFL always, you know, kind of treats the Rooney rule, which requires them to interview black candidates for these top jobs, treats that, and we know they treat it as a kind of afterthought, but if they consistently sort of bring black coaches and other executive um, level interviewees in for sham interviews, that, that they, they're going to lose. And that's going to be embarrassing. It's not only going to cost them money, I think it's going to cost the integrity of the game. And something else the NFL has to watch is, it could, it could eventually sort of cut into the black fan base. The polls I've seen show that African-Americans, despite all the stuff we ju I just said, we're the biggest fans of the NFL, you know, per capita. We tend to be more ardent fans and, you know, and we, we just love the game more. We, we invest more of our kind of quote unquote fandom in the game than do white people. But what if the NFL turns off black fans? That's going to hurt them disproportionately. So this suit has a lot of tentacles. It's interesting to me that you see Stephen Ross already jumping out. No, you know, usually they don't talk about lawsuits and, you know, NFL always plays like we have all the money in the world, we'll end up settling this thing. But I think Brian Flores, unlike Kaepernick, he's not going to settle. He's going to make the NFL go through the process and maybe this could change. But the way it looks now, have them go through discovery, have them give up emails, give up text messages, do all the things you do in a lawsuit that can prove really embarrassing. And you know, he may get blackballed. I sometimes wonder if the NFL won't try to solve this by trying to give him a job and maybe wear him down that way. But I don't know if that'll happen or not, but we'll see. But the only word I have for this is bombshell. You hear that word a lot, but this is the absolute bombshell. It's interesting you just mentioned about how the NFL may want to go about settling this, which can include maybe offering Brian Flores a job just so that way he can try to prevent him from going through with the lawsuit. He, he recently came on CNN, I want to say last night, but recording us on a Thursday. He came on Wednesday night and he said, you know, even if I want, even though I do get hired again, I'm not giving up the lawsuit because the lawsuit is bigger than just him. It's for right. the future generations of how practices should be applied moving forward. And that's a, and I think that's a very good point because that's very simply what in a way Kaepernick was trying to do himself with his making his protest known. And unfortunately, he's caught the bad end of things. And he, but Brian Flores seems like he's at peace with the right. fans that if this happens, 
you know, I'm okay with being out of a job in the NFL because of the bigger picture. And I think one of the things that's, um, that kind of, you know, you briefly talked about what really got you with Stephen Ross. I think what really got me was from a personal experience of the fact matter is in a relation perspective is the text messages between him and Bill Belichick. I right. think that's what got me the most because, I mean, I'm a young brother in the, in the industry and in the trying, you know, um, and starting a young career, things of that sort. And I can recall plenty of times where I've been going in for one interview, interview goes good. They bring me back for a second interview, but in the back of their minds, they're just doing this for practice because right. they know who they really want to hire at the end of the day. Right. And for Bill Belcher to come out and pretty much let them know, hey, I think you got the job. Oh, I meant to text the Ooh, other guy. Ron Brian, right? You know, <laughs> right. I meant, I meant to let the I meant to let the other guy know, not you, unfortunately. And he hasn't even had his interview yet. That's where I'm like, yo, I can relate to that. And that's really messed up that he has to go through that because I went to went through some of a similar situation in my young career as well. But and but the but the fact that that came out and it's Bill Belichick on top of that, who is a, one of the most legendary, respected coaches. In the league, you know that that raises a lot of questions, especially when you talk about, you know, this is the Giants. The Giants are making this call. The, the coach he's talking about is with that they're trying to hire was with the Bills. How does he know that you know that that hiring is going to happen so quickly before Brian even gets the interview? You know, it's things that sort where it shows how sketchy the movement of the NFL really is, and for him to highlight that, that's where I was like, it's not like you said, it's nothing that we don't know. But if you go through those things and you have gone through it historically and you have that um, that relative connection, that personal connection, that's where it hits home and it hits different for you. And that's what that's the scenario. That I, think, that you know, I mean, you make a good point. And I think, you know, it's part of what I see is the brilliance of the lawsuit so far, at least. I think it operates on a couple of levels. Like one is kind of the court of public opinion, which what you just talked about speaks to. Like all of us can relate to that. We've all been in interviews where you just feel the vibe like this isn't happening. And it's not because of what I'm not bringing to the table. It's like, they're doing something else right now. Either I'm just here, but they're on another wavelength. And I've worked in newsrooms long enough to know I'm seeing jobs come open where, you know, when the job comes open, you know, they know who they want to hire, but they have to go through a process, you know, so, I think on a PR level, particularly come like you said, have a Bill Belichick saying that it, you know, it's just embarrassing and it hurts. Now on a legal level, like you just talking about this legal stuff, who knows, like Belichick could get into whatever and into a deposition and say, well, you know, my boy at the Giants texted me and told me that, you know, Brian had the job, but he didn't really know, as it turns out, like he was just a guy in the room. He wasn't the decider. You know, you, you, who knows how they can shave and spin or maybe even, you know, who knows? It could be even the truth. But, you know, there, there are a lot of ways things can go legally. But I think it's hard to get out of that kind of that. I think it's a, as a big a public relations deal for the NFL as it is a legal thing. And I'm not minimizing the legal part of it. But the legal thing, you could always, you know, there's always like ways around and their maneuvers. There are a lot of things you can do to maybe what seems like a black and white situation all of a sudden becomes more more muddy, right? Or a, gray, a grayer situation. But to your point, we all can relate. And this is where the NFL, NFL depends on us, depends on the fans. If we see, and again, black fans are disproportionately loyal to this league. I mean, I can't say that enough. People don't want to 
like understand that people say, oh, people were boycotting during Kaepernick. No, people said they were boycotting during Kaepernick, you know? And the NFL was having a banner year this year. Remember when brothers weren't even going to perform at halftime? Look at the lineup this year for the Super Bowl halftime entertainment. Like big names, you know, with some older but still big names in hip hop. So that whole, the NFL was kind of coming out of that Kaepernick funk, if you will, from their perspective. And now they're thrown right back into it. And again, for like a brother, as you say, Brian Flores, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I don't think I ever heard the brother's voice before this lawsuit came up. He was just that face on the sideline, cap pulled down low, serious, you know, serious coach. Remember him as a defensive coordinator in New England? And he didn't seem like the revolutionary, right? And boom. He's hitting, and when he's hitting, he's not like he's going for the headshot, and that's that's what the lawsuit lawsuit is. Yeah, and and it, it just makes things that much more sketchy because of Brian Flores' record, right? You come into a franchise that hasn't won a winning se- season in almost in in years, pretty much almost a decade, yeah. and he comes in and gives them two straight winning seasons with right. one with with this season or this past well this current season being a completely flip-flop type of schedule that you've never thought would ever happen. You lose your first eight games and you win your next eight. Like, you know, you, you pretty much come out on top still. And for them, for him to have the locker room, for him to have the, the franchise to win in the winning culture and developing that winning culture, him being out of there for two years, is just an unfortunate reality that continues to add to the narrative of, of black coaches in the NFL. They say the NFL stands for not for long. They right. say that for players, but it's for black coaches too. Because oh, 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 more so for black coaches. I mean, one of the and again, we know this, but to see it like in black and white on like you know on legal paper, you know, black coaches more likely to be dismissed after a winning season than than white coaches, right? I mean, what? I mean, this isn't just some made up thing. These are the actual hard facts i think there have been 17 black head coaches in, in the history of the nfl and i think four of them if i read this correctly if i remember this right were dismissed after winning seasons and the brother Caldwell up in um Detroit. up in detroit right yeah. and I mean, then he was rolling in um in indianapolis too right you know have a down year and down might still be a winning year you know i mean marvin lewis lewis probably got the longest leash i could remember you know, of anybody and he had taken a franchise that was in, you know, in the dumps and, and restored it to some credibility. And obviously now the Bengals are, you know, going to the Super Bowl. I mean, you just have these, these things, even the brother David Culley in, um, in Houston. I mean, who, who could have inherited a worse situation than him coming in with Deshaun Watson not being available, being hired to a franchise in turmoil? They give away Andre Hopkins the year before for, for nothing, you know, coaches left, O'Brien's out, the place is in a shambles. He comes in, I think, I mean, my theory, they hired him thinking that maybe Deshaun would come back to the team because he now has a black head coach as before all these lawsuits popped up. So they, they, they have Cully and he does better than they expect. It wasn't a great record, but that was an abysmal team. And he rallies them to at least to some form, you know, they look like an NFL team. They upset some people. They gave the fans something to come out and root for on Sunday. And then they, after one year, they fire him. Maybe he's not crying because I think they still owe him 17 million bucks. But still, you know, when you talk about, you know, 
talk about sort of blazing the trail for black coaches, that's another setback. So, I mean, this record is so abysmal. And, you know, and we say the NFL and you wonder, you know, sometimes I get the impression that even Goodell is frustrated. You get the sense that, you know, because you've, you've heard Troy Vincent, his deputy, talk about this. Like the league office wants to drag these owners into the 21st century. You get that impression, at least. And I guess they refuse to go. I don't, I don't know what it is. I can't, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to understand racism, I guess, because mm -hmm. it's so irrational. Because I'm thinking to myself, who really care? Like, do white people really get upset to see a black coach? I don't. Like it doesn't like feel like that in my gut, right? Except you look at the record and you say it must be the case. Yeah, and that and that's one of the biggest topics now that are technically in question, right? The the the, the concept of minority ownership that can have a chance to give the league a chance. You know, you have teams like the Broncos who are gonna, who are going to be up for sale. You with the, with the way this this new Washington Commanders team is going. They just released the name, and Dan Snyder already in the in the, in the um is already his name's already in the Congress is dealing with Congress and the lawsuits with them, but with, with, with the cheerleading scandal and how all the misrepresentation that's been taking place. So okay. he might eventually get the boot out the door. That's on top of you know dealing with the Brian yeah. Floor situation. The NFL has a lot to deal with, but they're talking about maybe for two potential openings for right. ownership right. to take place in the NFL. Do you do you really think that the NFL is going to utilize these opportunities, if, especially if the Washington Commanders becomes yeah. open, to allow black minor black or minority groups to actually own an NFL team? Are we actually going to step into an era where if you want the change to happen, it has to start from the top down, which is the owners? Can do can do we can we see a black owner in the NFL anytime soon? I, I think we might. You know, we might, but in a weird way. And that would be great, don't get me wrong, that would be a, a wonderful thing, but in a weird way, the ownership of the NFL, it's not a weird way, it's just reality, reflects kind of all the inequities in American life, right? I mean, you essentially want to be a billionaire if you want to own a team. It's not the kind of thing that a normal investor can get involved in, right? You have to be a billionaire, so you can count black billionaires on like your fingers, right? <laughs> you know, you know, you have Oprah, you know, you have, uh, I don't know, Bob Johnson's still a billionaire, you know, uh, you have Jordan, you know, you have some, you have the brother who's, I uh, forget the brother's name, who's actually been mentioned for the Denver Broncos. I've met him too once. Um, he was a Wall Street guy and um, a venture capitalist. But anyway, you know, you, you have a limited pool. So if you get black ownership, it's going to be one or two. What you really need is these guys to like open their eyes, these white owners, because they're going to, you know, for at least a foreseeable future, they're going to be the majority, the vast majority of NFL owners, just because, you know, who are the billionaires? The white guys, you know, and so, so they are going to have to, I mean, just get with the modern times. And, and again, it's just, it's lost on me. Like, I don't, I don't understand it. Brothers are 70% of the league. These stats are so familiar now, right? They know football. I mean, they bring entertainment value to football. Yeah, there's Brady, there was Peyton Manning. Yeah, they're great white players, don't get me wrong. But, you know, brothers are you know, carrying most of that load, right? Mm -hmm. They're making money. They're drawing fans. This is the biggest entertainment product in the country. And we can't get some, you know, black leadership, you know, even below the owner level. 
yeah, you have, I think now we're up to maybe six black GMs. Ironically, one of the black GMs is on the Dolphins. It's going to be interesting to hear what, I forget his name, what, what he says and whether mm-hmm. he's going to be forced to testify in depositions and things like that, because I'd be curious about that, that dynamic, you know? Right. But, but, you know, you're right. I think yeah, there'll be some black ownership, but that's not going to be ultimately the answer. That'll be part of the answer, but you just have to, I guess you have to force change. I, and I don't know that all the remedies in the lawsuit are going to happen like they want, let's say Flores wins. You know, they, you know, they want to be able to articulate kind of, you know, why someone got a job and why someone didn't get a job. And you know how that goes. Like people hire people on gut feelings, on vibe, you know, I vibe with Joshua, he's cool. You know, it's something I like his vision. It's not really sometimes even that that rational or that, you know, something you could reduce to black and white. So I don't know how that's going to quite pan out. But I think just the, just the, again, the, just this bombshell going off is going to have to sort of jolt the NFL and, and its owners into, into the modern era. Everybody listening to me right now, you are listening to ESPN senior writer, Michael Fletcher. Um, Michael, I want to talk more in depth about the Rooney Rule now because the Rooney Rule was created for you know, creating a platform to imp- increase the chances of black coordinators and black representatives to be able to interview for these top tier leadership positions. But as you can see, very little progress has been made in those areas. Right. Um, and there's clearly a flaw because now you now it just seems like it's a man now teams are using it as like a mandate where you have to mandatory meritorially per se, interview a black person for at least one head coaching job or one GM job, even though it's not a guarantee that that person will get the job no matter how qualified he is, right? Um, That institutional racism, a rule like Rooney rule does not, to me, enhance the change that you wanna see in the league when it comes to getting more black representation in leadership roles. Um, But it's also this concept too that I'm gonna, that I really wanna kind of get your thought on of black people not really looking out for black people. And I say, and I ask that because I'm, I'm not saying this is the case in Chicago, but you know, the Bears got a new GM, Brian Poles, very, very, you know, respected uh, brother in the league for coming from the Chiefs. He hires a black assistant GM from Philadelphia. But you, but you get a chance to get a head coach, you hire a white guy. You get a yeah. chance to hire a defensive coordinator. My God, you know, you get a chance to hire an offensive coordinator. You know, right. QB's coach. Why God? There's a lot of people, <laughs> you know, that you right. could have hired in those type of positions that we seek for and want to help boost their, your chances right. of winning. And you do it with people that are, um, that are not, they don't look like us when, right. you have the, right. when you're in that seat to do that. I'm not saying, you know, that's what Ryan Poles is doing. I'm not saying he's Uncle Tom or anything like that. I'm not saying any of that. But it is something to think about because it's a bigger step that we need to take when it comes to not just criticizing people that don't hire Black people in leadership roles, such as a GM or a president of operations. But when they get there, what are they doing to enhance the brothers in the in the in, in that industry. You know, but man, you, you you I think you touch on a such a salient point. And I think it really gets it kind of helps to sort of illuminate how insidious all this is, right? 
Because if you're a brother hired to say the GM of a team, I don't know how secure you really feel, right? I mean, you're the GM. Yeah, you're the man. You're the boss. You know, you're supposed to be the personnel guy. But, you know, look at look at the track record. Brothers don't get the, that runway, right? Brothers don't get that support. So you probably are feeling less in charge. And that's the insidious thing about racism and how it, you know, it's always kind of in effect. Like, so you end up becoming like probably maybe less, like feeling less authority than maybe your white counterpart. Maybe you would feel more authority if you were in your ninth year as GM, right? And you would say, you know what, man, Joshua Hicks, he has it, you know, he doesn't even really have all the experience, but I like him. He has a vision. Look at these young white head coaches running around, you know, like, and I'm always saying, and it's hard to point at any coach and say, well, that's a bad coach. I mean, they're bad coaches, but a lot of coaches are good. None of this is to say, well, the white guy who got hired is incompetent, but it's, there are a lot of brothers who are competent, but someone just has to show that belief in you, man. And it goes for everything. And the belief lifts you up. I mean, it's just, I mean, I've felt that in journalism. If an editor likes you, you know, you're going out into the world like your eyes open for stories. If your stories are, you know, getting criticized all the time, you walk out in the street like unsure of your own instincts, right? You don't even trust yourself. You're trying to do journalism through someone else's eyes and that's impossible to do well. And I, and I think it's no different in, in any other line. I've never been an NFL executive, but I bet you that's an undermining thing. And as, you know, as for the Rooney Rule, I mean, on paper, it's a great idea, right? Because the part of the problem is Black folks, who we know, we, they're talking about social circles and kind of people you know, and we always want to hire people we know. If you're a team owner, that's a big job to give out a head coaching job. You feel better hiring someone you've met before, someone you have some level of comfort with. So even by forcing interviews, at least you get someone before somebody. They may not get that first job, but they get experience interviewing if it's done seriously. You know, they, they get to sort of forge a relationship. Maybe the owner has someone in mind. So yeah, I want to hire Josh Hicks, but Mike Fletcher and bad. I'll keep him, you know, in the back of my mind. And maybe at the owner's meeting, you're talking to one of your colleagues and he's talking about head coach. And I said, you know, I met this Fletcher guy, you know, and you, it's amazing how many things get done on that basis. So the Rooney rule, I think helps to um, facilitate that because black folks don't necessarily have that entree. But if people are going to treat it only like a, a, as kind of this thing you have to do, and if, if they, it's so funny, it, it's actually funny. Like he talks about John Elway showing up, you know, disheveled. To, and I don't know, you know, I mean, it's, it's in the lawsuit. I don't know how he knows. Basically, they were obviously out drinking. I don't know if he had liquor on his breath from the night before or whatever. They were late. The Broncos deny it. But if they're going to treat it, let's say that's true. Like that, that just undermines the whole idea. The really rule isn't the problem. It's that people aren't taking it seriously. That's the problem. And how do you make people take it seriously? I mean, the Rooney Rule is a good thing. I mean, I think in theory, but it gets to how do you mandate attitude? How do you mandate that people, how do you say, not be racist? I mean, how do you make that happen? And I'm sure they'll say, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not racist. Of course not. And maybe the racism is operating on a whole nother level where maybe there's something to this idea of unconscious bias like they look at a brother and just see something different good guy and everything but i don't really see a mastermind you know i don't know what it is you know i, I really can't explain it because i i don't understand it but the Rooney rule i think is a good thing but until brothers you know sort of feel this 
real confidence, it's going to be hard. It would take an exceptional person to take a job at the Bears and say, you know, I'm running this thing the way I want to run this thing because that unless that owner really empowered you. And it's hard to know. That's hard for an owner to do until he really see you working for a while. You know what I mean? It, it, it all kind of creates its own kind of synergy. No, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. And I don't think a lot of brothers have that. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, in the NFL, and you can even transfer it to the NBA, because the NBA for a minute was going through the same thing, where you yeah. didn't have a lot of Black representation. Now, I believe now there's half of the league has, has Black NBA coaches. Right. At the same time, you got to be cognizant of that, too, because very similarly, very similarly to NFL coaches, black NFL coaches and black, in some, in some cases, black GMs, we always get the short end of the stick. Right. You right. only coach for a season or two. Things don't go well. You get cut or you're put in a really bad situation. Right. So you have to try to fix it. And it's and you don't and they don't provide you the resources to fix it. So they end up cutting you loose and wait for the next white guy to come in and take over and do and give him everything that he needs. Um, right. It's very unfortunate that that is, enough, that is a reality, which actually transitions me to my next point. Now that Flores potentially might be gone and black butt out of the NFL. How do you feel about Flores taking the prime time approach? Going to the HBCU realm, utilizing his yeah. coaching skills, his because he because he talked a lot in his recent interviews, especially on CNN, from the ones that I watched. He's he's mm -hmm. been very adamant in speaking out of the fact that brothers have this gifted talent to teach, to coach, right. to help um, educate, mentor, and raise young men. Right? right. Um, he talked about how he has he has that gift. What if you bring that gift? If you can't do it in the pros to the HBCU, Hugh Jackson is doing it now with Grambling State. Uh, Primetime, you know, he's doing his thing at Jackson State University. I believe Eddie George is doing his thing at, I want to say, is at Tennessee State. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more players, uh, you know, former NFL players or, or former NFL coaches doing that realm. How, I, I think if you can get, Brian Flores to be a head coach or a defensive coordinator at the HBCU, that could spearhead a lot of changes and a lot of movements that the HBCU. Yeah, I, I, you know, I wouldn't disagree with that, but I kind of flash back to um, my man Mike Tomlin when he was asked about the USC job. Remember, like earlier mm -hmm. in the season, and say you can't still ask Andy Reid about these college gigs. I'm one, I have one of the best jobs in NFL. I'm one of the best, you know, he didn't say it, but he's implying, and it's true. I'm one of the best coaches of football anywhere. Like, I'm not, you know, I don't need to be on the second tier. I'm a pro coach. And I think Brian Flores has proven, if nothing else, that he's a professional coach, right? I mean, and I, I you know, if he wants to, you know, coach at the HBCU, I think that would be great. That would be great for whoever certainly plays on the squad. But to me, that man belongs. I mean, he's proven, I think, in his three years that he's a bona fide NFL coach. Is he Bill Belichick yet? No, right? But has it, you know, Bill Belichick got runway, right? <laughs> you know, he was, Bill Belichick wasn't Bill Belichick at the beginning, right? Um, you know, so I think he, and you know, I'm, I wouldn't be 100% surprised if he doesn't get hired because I think the NFL is scared. I would, if I were them, I'd be scared of this lawsuit. And again, this wouldn't end the lawsuit, obviously, but it would, Again, that PR side of it, that sort of public face of it, 
you know, it, it would help them there if, say, Houston hired him. I think, what's the other job he's up for? Houston and New Orleans. Saints. Like, because a, a, a job like New Orleans. Yeah, because yeah. the job, I want to say the top, the day he dropped the lawsuit, he was supposed to interview with the Saints that same day. Yeah. So if he gets the Saints job, I mean, that's the kind of job he deserves because that's a, you know, a credible team. That's a good team, playoff caliber team. You know, he wouldn't be going into a Houston situation where you have to build this thing from scratch, you know, and, you know, he can show his talents. I mean, he can show his talents either way. I think that's what he deserves. Because, God, let's face it, man. You, you mentioned NBA, which is a kind of a good analogy, right? I mean, black coaches, why do we have to I mean, Every black coach doesn't have to be great. Like, how many, most face, you know, discrimination is over when you can have some bad black coaches. Right? You know what I mean? Like that's because you have white bad coaches all the time. Bad white coaches exist at every level, and we just take it, you know, or you know, sort of every day. Like, okay, he's a schlub. I mean, so you know, he's he's a pro coach, but he's not really great. He's never won a championship. He's a five hundred coach. Not many brothers get that kind of right. that kind of juice. You know, a few, you know, a few. You know, I don't want to name names because I don't want to call somebody <laughs> like a coach, but. <laughs> But you, but you know, I think you know. I think that's when you know racism is abated when you don't have to be Mike Tomlin to keep the job, because Mike Tomlin's in that elite group, right? Yeah. Bill Belichick's in that elite group, but that's not the the comparison group. Like these are the guys at the very top. Andy Reid's near the top. You know, it's just about like NFL coaches. I mean, just the regular guys who come and go, get two, three jobs. You know, Josh McDaniels just got the job. We're in a Denver. I mean, fine, coach. Didn't do so well. I mean, he got to drop the Raiders. He used to be a Like, any, you know, okay, he worked for Belichick. A lot of people worked for Belichick. It didn't work out. You know what I mean? And um, but Brian, he gets another, Brian Flores is one of those people that actually slips, that sh you know, that doesn't fit that narrative. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly right. You know, a lot of the, that, that Belichick coaching tree is not so well-rooted, you know, whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use, you know? And, um, which is fine. It's no knock on anybody. It's a hard job to coach a team. I mean, it's hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of things have to come together correctly. But Flores, I think, is already, I mean, to my eyes, and I'm, I watch the NFL pretty closely, he's one of the better coaches in the league already. If there are 32 teams, I, I would put him in the top 16 of coaches. You know, yeah. I think easily. You know, so HBC, if he wanted to do that, hey, more power to him would be great. But hey, he should be in the NFL doing his thing. There are a lot of brothers whose names we can't call sitting here who would probably do a great job coaching at HBCUs, coaching at majority white colleges, you know, and, and all of that. And there are a lot of coordinators who could coach in the NFL. You could take a Todd Bowles, who I'm a, you know, I grew up a Jets fan. And Todd Bowles, I you know what he did with my Jets. But you know what? I think he deserves another chance coaching because of what he's done in Tampa Bay with that defense. And you can go, Eric Bieniemy. you know, I was saying to a friend of mine the other day, I would love to see an actual story if you, if you could get the story about why Eric Bieniemy has not been hired. I mean, like the real, you know, kind of step-by-step step through a hiring season, what he went through kind of story, you know, because it just doesn't make sense. I mean, the coaches, the, um, the Chiefs have had the most dynamic offense in the league for the last, what, three, four years, and their offensive coordinator can't get more than an interview? Unheard of. Right. You know, so anyway. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, the Bears took a swing on Andy Reid's tree with, with Matt Nagy, and you see how that went. <laughs> <laughs> and again, man, you know, like, again, not every coach is going to be great. You know, I mean, you know, you Jackson, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever he says, 
there was one funny Twitter uh, Twitter thing when they when he was talking about the bounty man. <laughs> Some Twitter wag said, "Shoot, if you were getting a bonus for every loss, man, you'd be on the fortune list by now." <laughs> 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 but, but you know, I mean, and it's just a joke, but still, you know, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be like the number one guy, but these men are certainly as good as their white counterparts. And that's all we're saying here. Not everybody's as good as Bill Belichick or Andy Reid or Mike Tomlin, but these guys, you know, deserve the shot that these other sort of mainstream, like everyday Matt Days, you know, what the heck? I mean, you know, Nagy, you know, all these guys get these jobs. My man in Detroit biting kneecaps off. It was, you know what I mean? It's just, you know, the coach, you remember his whole thing? I mean, it's, I forget his name, but, you know, come on. Come on. I mean, this is like 2022, and we're still talking about this. It's it's, it's sad. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You you, you sound just like uh, John Thompson, you know, recipes John Thompson, the, the head coach of the uh, Georgetown Hoyas Hall of Fame coach. There's a video that resurfaced of him being on a panel he pretty much elaborated that same point saying that we're not mm-hmm. saying that every coach that you know we're more elite than a white coach because every because coaching is coaching you're going to have good coaches good white coaches you're going to have bad white coaches but we deserve the same chance as the white guys do to do our job because we could be just as good or better as they are even though we're not going to always right. be successful either so having that right. equal playing field you know has been that's been that's been stated for years and like you said we're still dealing with this unfortunate issue heading into 2022 where all this racial um bias discrimination equality for all has been you know put to bed since the civil rights movement and slavery and things that are still within our history and, and this and all this still happening in black history month you know we're talking about black mm-hmm. history month and the history of black people this is another chapter that's going down in black history of us oh, fighting no. For the equality that we deserve, it's absolutely incredible. And you know, you talk about progress. Well, we're regressing as far as the NFL goes. I think the high water mark was eight black coaches. You know, we're moving backwards, and you know, and it's not just in the field of coaching. A lot of areas that's the case, and it's it's absolutely mind boggling to me. You know, it really is because you know, in many ways, you think, okay, that fight is one that's on to the next battle, but. You thought you won that battle, but that battle probably was not won because, you know, things are slipping away. It's, you know, it's frustrating. It's, it, it, it can be infuriating, actually, you know, but I mean, what, you know, what are you, you going to do? You can be mad, but, you know, that's not going to help either. You really have to do, and that's why I tip my cat to Flores. He, hey, he's putting it on the line, not only risking his future career, but asking the right questions to kind of kind of get to a, you know, I don't know if one case can get all the way to the bottom, but it certainly gets you closer to the bottom of this question of of kind of what's going on. And I think this will shake the foundation of the league and get to the owners in a way where they're going to really at least a little bit change kind of how they do business. I would think, I would think they'd have to for no other reason than they could end up losing money. Again, that Black fan base. And I guess things won't really change until Black fans really turn off, not just talk about turning off, but actually turn off and say, you know what, I don't care. Super Bowl's coming. I'm going um, roller skating that day. I'm going to ice skate. I'm going to whatever. You know, I'm going to watch an old movie. You know, if if that started happening in big numbers, maybe you'd see a better, you know, a better response from the league. Everybody listening right now, you're listening to Michael Fletcher. 
Michael, um, as we wise down, come down to the end of the show, uh, what do you have coming up that for our audience and everyone to pay attention and keen into? I know you got a, you know, you're a busy guy. You always got uh, something up your sleeve, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like one thing I'm working on be, it'll be of interest to you. You know, being a shy town guy, it's actually a tragic story. You know, I, I've been trying to look into the the death of uh, Glenn Foster Jr. And he's a Chicago native who played at University of Illinois and played a couple of years for the New Orleans Saints and uh, turned up dead in police custody in, um, in, in uh, rural Alabama back in early December, you know, two months ago almost. And at least the last time I talked to him earlier this week, is, or last week rather, his family hadn't heard anything from authorities in terms of what the cause of death was, what the circumstances of his death were, you know, nothing official from authorities in Alabama. So, I mean, it's like a mysterious death of a guy who had some issues. He he battled bipolar disorder, but it was a very successful guy in terms of starting businesses off the field, family man with four kids, sort of a beloved figure in New Orleans. He had moved to New Orleans from a wonderful family. His parents had moved down from um, Chicago to, to work, and he was kind of in the construction business, work with him. Wonderful wife. And um, so anyway, I'm, I'm writing kind of the story about what's happened in the wake of his death and a little bit about who Glenn was. So that's my next sort of big thing. In between, I have one or two small Olympic stories I have to do. I'm writing about you know, all the brouhaha around China and um, human rights. So, so that's what I'm working on. Okay, that's what's up. Where can everybody follow you and your work? Oh yeah, you know, ESPN.com and on Twitter. I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I do post my stories on, you know, at Fletch Post on Twitter. So that's where it is. All right. Um, everybody, you can follow me on Instagram at Twitter, Josh M. Hicks Media, as well as follow War Media on all platforms, YouTube, War Media, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as War on Anchor for all Google po- for all podcast platforms, including Google Podcasts, TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, you name it. We are all over the place. And you can get this episode of you can get this episode as well on YouTube. Uh, my man Michael, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I really appreciate it. No, always, that. always for you, brother. No problem at all. You take care. All right, you too. Okay. All right.